Well, welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in the five solas. We've entitled the series Celebrating 500 Years of Grace. And this morning's message is entitled Sola Fide or Faith Alone. Faith Alone. And our text is Galatians chapter 2. Verses 11 to 21. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 21. So please turn there. And let me just share with you the essence of the Reformation. On Tuesday, October the 31st, we will celebrate 500 years of the Reformation. The Reformation began in 1517 when Martin Luther, who was very, very exercised in his soul about the fact that on November 1st, 1517, in his town of Wittenberg, the Roman Catholic Church was going to sell indulgences, was going to sell relics of the church and guarantee people that if they bought enough of these, they'd be guaranteed entrance into heaven. Because they were trying to raise funds to build St. Peter's Basilica. And this this pious monk, this this beer-drinking German monk, who was a professor sat down and wrote 95 theses, 95 ideas that were filled with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe that God was leading he and others that were part of the Reformation. And he hammered them up on the Wittenberg Castle Church door on October 31st, the night before November 1st. And that launched the Reformation. That launched, my friends, a revival of the gospel truths that we hold so dear That was a very, very great day. And today we're preaching one of those solas that Martin Luther knocked, hammered up on the door. He he talked about sola scriptura. We preached that three weeks ago, scripture alone, and solus Christus. David Rios preached that two weeks ago, Christ alone, and sola gratia, uh, grace alone, that David Bush preached last year. And today I'm preaching sola fide, faith alone. And next Sunday I'll finish our series with soli deo gloria. To God's glory alone. God himself cares for his church. Jesus Christ builds his church. And he brought these truths back to light through these men who preached the word. Here's what they said. Here's what they thundered back then. And that thundering has come down to us through the ages. The echo of that thundering, which is what God's word teaches, is this. Salvation is according to God's scripture alone. Sola Scriptura. In Christ Jesus alone, solus Christus. By grace alone, sola gratia. Through faith alone, today's message, sola fide. For the glory of God alone, soli deo gloria. That's the truth, friends. Salvation is according to God's scripture alone, in Christ Jesus alone. By grace alone, through faith alone, for the glory of God alone. This morning we are examining the fourth sola, salvation is through faith alone. What's at stake here? What's at stake here? Why is this important to you? Well, here's why it's important to you. What's at stake here is how you relate to God. How you relate to God. See, God is creator, God is judge, and thankfully God is savior. But dear friend, how do you relate to God as creator? Whether you believe it or not, you are a creation of God. He is creator. 
No matter what this world may teach us, no matter how many university classes there are that deny that God is the creator of this world, it is true. And as creator, he requires and actually demands in a benevolent way worship and that we image him as his creation. How do you relate to God as creator? God is judge. God is judge. God will one day terminate history at the day of Christ's return. And God the Son will come, Jesus Christ return, and he will judge every single person in heaven and on that has ever been ever existed will stand before his throne and he will judge them. How are you going to relate to God as judge? It is inescapable. That's what's at stake in this scripture we're going to study this morning. That's what's at stake with faith alone. And God is Savior. Praise God that he's Savior. As a friend of mine in Texas once said, said, Pino, thank God for God. Yes, you're right, bro. Thank God that he is Savior. But how will you relate to God as Savior? Is it by your works? Is it because you were born into a certain family, a a certain ethnicity, a certain way of thinking, a certain culture? How are you going to relate to God as Savior? And you need a Savior. And today's text is saying to us that the only way to relate to God as judge, as creator, and as Savior is by faith. See, what's at stake here is the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the question that is front and center in our text. Are we saved by faith, through faith alone? Or do we need to add something to our faith in order to be saved? Now, you may still be back here with the God as creator and God as judge, and perhaps you are not a believer, and you're saying, well, convince me that he's creator and convince me that he's judge. Well, let's talk. Because he is creator, and you do owe him your worship, and he is judge, and we all stand before him, really, as rebels, and we need the Savior. So I'm talking this morning, this text is talking about the gospel, which is God's salvation revealed in Scripture, how we relate to God through faith alone. I'm I'm praying for you, dear friend, if you are here and are not a believer, that God would begin to speak to you about himself being creator and judge, and then that he would lead you by his spirit to this, this truth that we relate to him in salvation through faith alone. This was the issue that was happening in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. So let's read about it. You there? Galatians 2, 11 to 14. We ourselves as Jews... Excuse me. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his faith because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step, with the truth of the gospel. Keep that in mind. Their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas, Peter, that's another name for Peter. I said to Cephas, 
before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like the Jews? All right, Al, how is this talking about relating to God as Savior through faith alone? Well, let me explain it to you. In the first century, the Apostle Peter had experienced all that Christ taught, his life, his death, his resurrection. Peter had experienced a, really a divine deliverance. He had been in jail in Jerusalem. They were about to um, execute him, and God sent an angel and released Peter from jail. And so Peter had experienced this amazing deliverance of God. He had seen the resurrected Lord Jesus. He had preached the gospel. Thousands had been saved. He had even heard from God in a dream. It was okay to eat with the Gentiles. And God sent him to this uh, centurion, Cornelius, and he preached the gospel. And God saved this Roman, this, this Gentile. So Peter knew all that. He understood that salvation, you relate to God through faith alone in Christ Jesus alone. And so he goes up to Antioch. So imagine if you have Israel here. Here's the Mediterranean. Antioch is in Syria. So he goes up to Syria, and he's hanging out with all these Gentile believers, these Christians, and he's eating with them. And then suddenly, he hears that some Jews are coming down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and he stops eating with The Gentiles. He stops eating with his Christian brothers. He says, you know what? I can't hang out with you anymore. I can't go and break bread with you. Listen, I can't go out to eat at Applebee's today after church because there's some guys coming from Jerusalem and if they see me, I'm in trouble. And Paul, Paul seeing this, Paul understood what was at stake here. Here's what was at stake. Peter somehow was saying, you know what? Faith is... In Christ alone is not enough to save you Gentile uh, believers in Antioch. You also have to become Jews. And because you're not circumcised, I can't hang out with you. Now, Peter knew better. But Peter wasn't living according to what he believed. In fact, in this text, Paul calls him a hypocrite. He says, he's, he's acting, verse uh, 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. What's a hypocrite? So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Even Barnabas, who was Paul's assistant, and Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, Barnabas had seen thousands of Gentiles saved. Barnabas knew that salvation was through faith alone and Christ alone, but all these Jews acted hypocritically. What's hypocrisy? Acting differently than what I say or believe. Peter would have preached salvation is through faith alone and Christ alone. But when the Jews came up, the pressure hit, he acted hypocritically. And Paul understood that what was at stake is this. Peter was saying, by his actions, you know what, Gentiles? It's not enough to believe in Jesus. You also have to become a Jew. You have to observe all the dietary laws. You have to get circumcised. And Paul calls Peter out because what was at stake was the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone or whether one had to become a Jew. And so he calls Peter out. You see that in the text. So Peter in verse 14, Paul says this, But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel... 
So they were not dancing the gospel tune. Peter had preached the gospel tune. Peter had heard the gospel tune, heard the rhythm that would set his feet dancing to the gospel tune from the Lord Jesus Christ. He was an apostle. He had seen everything, but he was not dancing to that tune right there. And Paul said, oh, these guys, oh, no, no. What's at stake is the gospel. I said to Cephas before them all, follow me, verse 14. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like the Jews? Peter, you know that salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. What are you doing? Now, lest you judge Peter too harshly, can I ask you a question? Are you in step with the gospel beat? I think dancing is a good metaphor for us in South Florida, don't you? Come on, man, we like to dance, right? We go to weddings, we dance. When I first got here, I would take my wife out on dates and we'd go to La Carreta and Hialeah. We'd go upstairs and they would have dance classes. That is so romantic. That is so much fun. Pay a little $10. I know, Sergio, you think that the classes didn't take in me, okay? But I did take the classes, all right, brother? And so you pay 10 bucks and you, you learn how to dance La Rueda, which is a circle. And it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And you would be learning all these steps and you'd be changing partners. And, and this may surprise some of you, but every once in a while, I would be out of step. What's with the laughter here? Yeah, you can't believe it, can you? Neither can I. I'm shocked. You know the truth, church. But sometimes are you out of step? When, when, when the command goes out to, you know, whatever the commands are, I forgot all the commands. Dame two or dame dos or something like that. And you're given three instead of two and you're stepping on somebody's foot. Can you believe the right thing, but functionally you're not dancing the right dance when it comes to the gospel? Can we subtly add something to the gospel that I'm saved by faith through Christ alone plus something else? See, that's what the reformers were fighting. Is salvation through faith alone or is it through faith plus good works, faith plus these other things? Or is it in Christ alone? You can shake your head all day and say, yeah, Al, you're right. But how's your dancing step tonight? That's the question. That's what we want to explore here. And by the way, if you're here and you're not a believer, you may say, what dance are you talking about? I've never heard of that salsa dance. You know what I pray? I pray that this morning, God would give you ears to hear this tune for the first time. And he would teach your feet how to dance it for the first time. And people would say, well, I didn't know that she could do that dance. I didn't know he could do that dance. It's called salvation. I'm praying that for you if you're not saved. If you are saved, though, and I think that's the bulk of us, can we rehearse the steps again? All right. Because what happened, back to our text, is that having experienced that with Peter in Galatia, in Antioch, Paul says, whoa, 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 wait a second. I got to make sure that I got this right. Because according to what Jesus said, according to what we've agreed upon, Peter, as fellow apostles, you the apostle of the Jews, me the apostle of the Gentiles, is Gentiles do not need to be circumcised. They don't need to keep the law. It is, it is salvation through faith alone and Christ alone, right? So what Paul does is he goes down to Jerusalem. Jot this down in your notes. I know you don't have notes. I just thought I said that to see your reaction. Jot this down somewhere on your hand, on your neighbor's hand. Acts 15. There was this big council in Acts 15. It's called the Jerusalem Council. And so 
Paul goes down to the Jerusalem council and says, guys, do I have this right? Is the gospel that I'm preaching, is this the gospel? And they said, absolutely. Gentiles do not have to become Jews. They don't have to be circumcised. They have to believe in Christ alone. Salvation is through, uh, is through faith alone and Christ alone by God's grace alone. So he comes back up and then he writes this letter that we're reading. And so then he writes the following. Look at verse 15. Verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works. I want you to find, read with me, circle how many times the word justified is used in this text. All right? You do a little silent math there. That a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Do you get the point? Verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21 is a pretty serious charge, by the way. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died to no purpose. What's at stake here is the gospel. At the core of the gospel is Christ's death on the cross. And if we're not dancing to this tune, if we're out of step, though we don't want to be, we are proclaiming a false gospel. We are nullifying. We are saying that Christ died to no purpose. If somehow I can add by my works to what Christ did on the cross. One more dancing reference before we get into the text. Let's get into the text first. Here's the main point. We are justified by faith, not by works. It's on the screen. Write that down. That's the point here. This is the main point. We are justified by faith and not by works. I think you understand that by verses 16 and 17. I think it's pretty clear. We are justified by faith and not by works. This is what Christ taught us. This is what the Jerusalem Council confirmed. This is what God resurrected with the Reformers 500 years ago this Tuesday. So celebrate it. This is what this word justified is used four times in verses 16 and 17. What does that mean? What does justification mean? Well, on the screen, Tony Morita and his commentary on this text, justification is the gracious act of God by which God declares a sinner, that's all of us, righteous solely through faith, In Jesus Christ. Here's the reference. Here's the dancing reference. And with this, I'll stop with the dancing references. So uh, everybody knows Gloria Stefan, right? And uh, Gloria and Emilio. Um, There is a Broadway musical that was just in Miami, which is the story of their life. I don't know if any of you saw it on TV or even when. It's called On Your Feet. On Your Feet. So I'm not not, uh, saying go listen to all this music because the song I'm about to reference has a backdrop that is definitely not godly. (laughs) 
But what's one of the most famous songs we all remember from the Miami Sound Machine? There's many, right? Right? The rhythm is going to get you, right? Okay, so we don't want to go into all the, yeah, the, if you go look at the video, you understand, whoa, wait a second. But, but stay with me on this. The rhythm is going to get you. The rhythm is going to get you tonight. I pray that the rhythm of the gospel gets you so that you're dancing the gospel dance and not out of step like Peter was. He knew the dance. He was saved. He had preached it. But when pressure came, when things happened, he started adding works to the very gospel that he had preached correctly. And Paul called him out on it. I believe Peter repented. Peter wasn't a heretic. But that helps me because I can be tempted to be out of step with the truths of the gospel. But I pray that the gospel rhythm would get us. What does that mean? That our functional theology would be the same as our mental or our doctrine that we have so perfectly arranged on our bookshelves finds its way to our feet in how we live and walk and move. All right, here we go. Point one. These, I believe, are the steps, okay? These are the steps of the gospel dance. And before we get to those steps, I want to give you one more quote. So there's a guy in my life named Mike Bullmore. He was, the, uh, he was professor of preaching at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago. He then left that position to plant a church in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which is right near Chicago, Kenosha, Wisconsin. I always think of the Kenosha Kickers. What movie is that from? I don't know. Home Alone. Yeah, all right. Can everybody wake up, please, for a moment? You're all just like looking at me like, this is is exciting, all right? Thank you. You know about the Kenosha Kickers, that's right. Um, Sorry, I haven't preached in a while, so I got to tighten the whole thing up. Brain's got to get a little more disciplined. Um, But Mike Bullmore, in treating this text, gives us a a helpful way to look at this text. I'm going to use some of these points in my main points. Listen to what Mike says about justifying grace. Justifying grace is this idea from Galatians 2, 11 to 21, that we're saved by faith, not by works. Listen to what Mike says. Justifying grace, it's on the screen, yep. Justifying grace is the grace that gives us the perfection of Christ's righteous life, while pardoning the imperfection of our unrighteous life and providing all we need to to live a new godly life. Stay with me there, man. This is good stuff. It's three Ps, right? Perfection, pardon, provision. All right, so if that helps you remember it, that's what I'm looking for. The scripture gives us the truth that we saw that the justification is the gracious act of God by which God declares a sinner righteous solely through faith in Jesus Christ. But think of these three words, perfection, pardon, and provision. God's pardon and God's provision are communicated to us in justifying grace. Thank you, Mike. That's helpful. Point one. By faith you receive the perfection of Christ's righteous life. By faith we receive the perfection of Christ's righteous life. Look at verses 16 and 17. There you see the doctrine, right there in front of your eyes, the truth that we are justified by faith, not works. And I love the way Paul says it elsewhere. So jot this down, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He's saying, he's writing to the Corinthians, for our sake, he, God the Father, made him, 
God the Son, Jesus Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, this happened on the cross, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. This is the idea that Paul is is saying here in Galatians 2. This is what he's reminding Peter of. This is why he's saying, don't stop being a hypocrite. You can't add to this. Romans 3, 26 to 28. This would be the classic, classic verse. Man, memorize this verse. These three verses. Memorize it. Go home right now and memorize it. David will give you $5 if you memorize it. Romans 3, 26 to 28. It was to show his, God's righteousness at the present time so that he, God the Father, might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, God the Son. Did you get that? He, God is just and he's the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ because if God is just, how can a just God make unjust people, you and me, just? Doesn't that make him unjust if he does that? But he remains just because he put the penalty of our sin on Jesus, thus remaining just and punishing our sin on Christ so that he can make just the unjust through the just one who died for us. That's right. And go think about that for a couple of days. It's better than thinking about other stuff. Because that is good news. If you're unjust, if you're guilty of, of murder and, and, and the penalty is death, and suddenly someone figures out a way that you, the unjust, can be made just and justice still be served in our society, and you walk out free. I trust you, you're walking out with a big smile on your face. You're celebrating that day. It defines you. That's what we're talking about. That's what was at stake here. Verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? This is what David preached last week when he preached on grace from Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. All right, so how... What are some signs that we're not in step with this gospel truth? Okay? So this is sort of like, you know, in the metaphor that we're using, you know, when your, your spouse, if you're dancing with your spouse or your, whoever you're dancing with, cries out with pain as your foot comes down on their foot. You know, or in salsa, you know, you're going forward and they should be going back and you're both going forward and you hit knees. Oh! All right, so this is some of the ways we can know. You ready? You know that you're trying to sneak in some of your good works to gain God's acceptance. Or as Bullmore would have said, you're trying to add your imperfect righteousness to Christ's perfect righteousness when the following are your experience. Number one, you're often striving with little peace or rest for your soul. Always striving. Little peace or rest for your soul. You you try to commend yourself to God by your conduct. The impulse of most of our hearts is to think that God's ongoing acceptance of us depends on or can be enhanced by our ongoing works. We somehow want our observance of the law to count toward God's holy requirement of perfect obedience. It can't. And if you try to sneak that in, I think what you're doing is saying that Christ died for no purpose. You try to get your name in the credits somehow. Bullmore in his, his preaching said that, you know how it is at the end of a movie, the credits start running? 
Well, at the end of this movie, at the end of all time, there's going to be credits. You know, there's going to be one name there. We do say amen. I got you. Peter said amen. But by his behavior, you know what Peter was doing? He was going up to the screen and handwriting his name underneath there. Man, we wouldn't want that on that day. So why do we try to do it today? It's subtle, church. It's subtle. It's subtle. You fail to believe what Galatians says, that a person is not justified by works of the law. What's at stake here is the glory of God, Christ's glory. Um, A gentleman by the name of Dixon said the following. I don't have the quote on the screen. I apologize. I'm going I'm to paraphrase it. He says, I've taken all my good deeds and all my bad deeds and I've cast them in a heap before the Lord and fled from both. Oh, friend. Like the bad deeds, it's easy to flee from those. But you know the deeds that can really get you? You know the ones that Jesus spoke the strongest to was the Pharisee who somehow thought that his little good deeds earned him anything with God. Oh, friend, take all your good deeds. Take your tithing. We want you to tithe. Take your community group attendance. We want you to come to community groups. Take your prayer. Take your evangelism. Take your giving to the poor. Just put them at the cross and flee from them to Jesus. And in him, I have sweet peace. Ooh. Do you have peace? Point two. If the first kind of movement here of justifying grace or this faith in in Christ alone for our justification is that by faith we receive the perfection of Christ's righteous life. Number two, by faith we receive the pardon for your unrighteous life. So we receive the by faith the perfection of Christ's perfect life and we receive the pardon of Christ's imperfect life. Many people call that the uh, sort of double exchange that occurs at the cross and it's not double exchange. I forgot the terminology. Thank you for reminding me, someone, but that's okay. I'm sorry? Yeah, double imputation. There, is that right? Are you awake? Okay. Uh, Double imputation at the cross. So, here's the deal. (laughs) Listening to one of my sermons is a contact sport. You know that, Cal, right? You just got to be alert, buddy. (laughs) I'll edit this out of the the recording. Um, Right, so on the cross, two things happen. Jesus gives us his righteousness, and he takes our unrighteousness. That's why when it says, it is finished, it is finished. It is finished. Your unrighteousness, which deserves death, is taken by Christ's death on the cross. His righteousness that we don't deserve is given to us by faith. (laughs) Right? Exhibit A, God declares a sinner righteous. Praise God. Praise God. And this is what God is saying to us in verses 15 and 18 through 19. If you read those verses, what what Paul is saying is, Peter, look, you and I are Jews. But what does that get us? In trying to be made righteous, we are proved to be sinners. All the law does is it comes and it reminds me, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. You, the Jew, who has many advantages. You, you, you have the covenants. Yes, God's hand is on you. Yes, that's great. But what is all it? It just proves that you're a sinner. So what are you doing not eating with the Gentiles when the other Jews come up? Your works can do nothing. 
You cannot be justified by the law. But you know what, church? There's something in us that wants to get clean. Uh, Just think about this for a second. Every human being, I believe, there's something in them that knows there's something wrong. It's not a salvific knowledge. It's not even a conviction of sin. But, But... I think every human knows there's something wrong. And so what a lot of humans say is this. I know I'm messed up and there's no way I can get right. So the heck with the rules, man. I'm just going to be as messed up as I can be. Yeah, welcome to Miami, South Florida, right? But then there's the other side of that is you, you try desperately to get the, get the stink off of you. Get the smell off you. Get the dirt off of you. you but you can't. You can't. You can't. Uh, David preached this in his sermon from Hebrews 10. The blood of bulls and goats cannot cleanse our conscience. Only Christ can. Only Christ can. You know, it takes the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin salvifically that you come to the Savior. And if you haven't experienced that, I pray you would. But, but we're all made in the image of God. Though our consciences could be seared and there's different levels of conscience, there's something in everybody that kind of think, ooh, you know, thank God for that. Because we're not as evil as we can be. There's, there's still something there that says, oh, that's not right. Now we often just run right over our conscience. So, what, what Paul is saying is, you can't get clean by the law. You can't. By who you hang out with. You can only get clean by the blood of Jesus. And be careful, Peter, That if you somehow try to add your works to that, verse 21, you are nullifying the grace of God because if righteousness were through the law, I'm reading from verse 21, then Christ died to no purpose. Peter didn't want to say that and I believe he responded to Paul's rebuke. I pray that we do. When we try to rebuild, as it says in verse 18, when I try to rebuild that which, for if I rebuild what was torn down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. You can't go back to the law. It won't work. It's like those hamsters on those wheels. You know, you can't. And eventually the hamster dies because his heart explodes, or he just gets discouraged and he stops. And, you know, a lot of churches are just a bunch of little hamster wheels with, you know, exhausted hamsters just sitting there, right? Because they can't. They're rendered useless. I think that scripture that you preached from speaks of he cleanses our conscience from dead works to serve the living God, or it says it somewhere in scripture. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. Your good works cannot earn God's pleasure and favor. And so we get exhausted trying to do enough. We're just a bunch of exhausted hamsters lying on our wheels. And God wants to rehabilitate us and actually change us and, yes, reform us. And say, no, listen, I have taken your condemnation. You cannot work your way out of it by the law. You can't work yourself out of condemnation by seeking to do this or that. Trust me. Now, yes, he brings conviction. Yes, we need to change. Yes, it is. he's serious about sanctifying us. But we're talking justification here, not sanctification. That's another sermon. You can only deal with condemnation biblically. By wielding justification by faith alone in Christ alone and all his perfection and all his pardon. Let Christ speak his pardon to you, friend, this morning in the face of any condemnation you might be experiencing. And point three, 
Thank you for your patience. Gone much longer than I anticipated. Again, I'm just getting back in the saddle, so have mercy. (laughs) Point three, by faith you receive the provision to live a new godly life. If the first point is by faith you receive the perfection of Christ and his righteous life, and if by faith, point two, you receive the pardon for your unrighteous life, then by faith, point three, you receive the provision to live a new godly life. Look at the end of verse 19 with me. For through the law, verse 19, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Oh, that's good news. So faith gives us that provision to live a new godly life. I love what Paul says in Romans 6, 3, and 4. We're going to have baptisms next Sunday. This is one of the verses that I take people through when I talk about baptism. And it's, look what Paul says here in Romans 6, 3, and 4. Same author, different book. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that, so always circle those in order that's or therefores. Very important. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's what he's saying here in our text. In verses 20 and 21, I have been crucified with Christ. You with me? Verse 20. Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ loves you and gave himself for you to give you the new life that you know you want, especially as a Christian. He gives you the hope that you can change in those stubborn areas of sin, cynicism, lust, greed, lying, anger, whatever, bitterness, The new life is powered by Christ, not by your works. But yet, as as we read in Scripture, that good work, which is God's gift to us, then produces in us the change. At the end of the text that you preached last week, David, verse 10, the grace prepares us for the good works that God prepared beforehand. He saves us by grace and prepares us and equips us for good works that then bring glory to him and reward us. Isn't our God amazing? He enables us to do these things. He plans them for us. He gives us the grace to do them. And then he rewards us for the very things that he enabled us to do that apart from him we could never do. Glory be to God in the highest. Church, let us live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. What's the appeal? The appeal is to really get in step. Learn how to do the salsa, the gospel salsa. Get in the gospel conga line. We're not going to get in a conga line here. But you know what? In one sense, we are. Because sometimes some people at these parties, you know, they're just standing there like this. Everybody else is having fun. And they're, they're sitting in their little hamster wheel. And the conga line comes by. Oh, no, I don't know how to do that. Oh, no, I, I don't know how to dance. By the Spirit of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ, He teaches you how to dance. He will set your feet dancing. And it will be so much fun. Will it be hard? Yes. Will you suffer? Oh, yes. Will you be rejected? Yeah. But, oh, friend, you will never have more fun. It will never be more joy in your life than dancing that gospel dance, that gospel conga line with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And let's call others to join us, shall we? Let's pray. Worship team, would you join me up front? Lord, I pray that you would give us a picture 
of this gospel truth that we as a church would be in step with it. Lord, I I confess to you there are times when I get grossly out of step with the gospel song and beat and rhythm. Please forgive me. Lord, I pray that you would give rest and peace to those right now that are just frazzled. They just, they're, just, they're just totally frazzled. They're like those little hamsters. Their feet are going a thousand miles an hour, going nowhere. May they hear the word that was uttered even earlier in this service when you said that my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You say, come to me and I will give you rest. Lord, I pray. I pray for those who right now feel like they just can't, that they've sinned too much, that, that holiness is beyond their, their, their grasp. They, they're defined by their past. They're defined by their self-effort, their self-atonement to deal with the sin that has ravaged them. And they're just exhausted. Lord, would you just give them hope that there is a power, there is a blood, the blood of Jesus that cleanses their conscience, that there's this new life, it's resurrection life. And give them hope. Give them hope. Lord, we confess to you through this song, we need you. Lord, I need you. Lord, I I come, I confess. Bowing down, I here I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. Lord, put us back together. You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, would you guide our hearts? Would you guide this church as we sing this in Jesus' name? Amen. Please stand. Let's sing this together. Listen, do business with God while we're singing. If you want prayer, we'll be down here to pray for you. If you just want to commune with God, do that. Pray for one another. God gives you a word for somebody. Let's sing together.